Welcome to Human First. My name is David Tilston, and this podcast explores the methods, habits, and processes which allow us to excel as human beings. Today, I welcome a good friend to the podcast, Hunter Cook. During this episode, we dive into Hunter's journey so far and discuss injuries, building strength, flexibility, assessments, kin stretch, coaching functional range systems around the world, and a lot more. Let's get into it. Hunter, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, David. Happy to be here. It's taken me about, uh, what, a year and a half to get you on? But (laughs) we finally done it. We finally arranged a time, which is good. Yes, yes, yes. I I do my best to avoid podcasts to the best of my ability until I (laughs) learn that I actually greatly care about the person that I'm talking to and over the last year and a half, that's a position that you and I have gotten to. So I'm happy to be here. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Part of the reason as well, from my perspective of wanting to wait was because when you taught, I met you in Marlborough College on an FRC seminar, and I knew from the outset that there was something there. There was a lot there. The way you presented it was incredible, but also the information that you were almost acting as a conduit for was something I really wanted to get into. And I wanted to learn the system as a whole before we actually jumped on a podcast together. So I have the full appreciation of the system as a whole, not just the doorway in. And I've grown to love it in many ways uh, for many different reasons, partly because of my own rehab with my, uh, with my foot injury. Sure. But also because of the other attributes I've gained from it, like understanding that the components and these weaker areas are never truly investigated by many of us because we just don't know about them. And this gave a very clear map of how to find them. Yep. It, it, bring, it brings to the forefront very quickly <laughs> what, uh, what needs attention in your body. <laughs> it does. Normally in the case of a burning sensation somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yes. With that in mind, Hunter, obviously I want to get into the system as a whole, but I understand there's a there's a human behind this information, and that's what I want to get across your journey, how you got into it. So, what did the earlier years look like for you, Hunter? What were your passions, your disciplines, um, your interests, and then what led you to learning the functional range systems as a whole? I mean, I'll try and condense that um, because if I go into all, every nook and cranny of that story, which is I, I don't actually talk about often, um, like really going far back, but in 2001, I worked in my first physical therapist office as a physical therapist aide. Um, so my journey started about 23 years ago now. Um, and I really just started to dive into the idea of kind of following that career path. Um, and so I spent several years working in physical therapy offices. I think it was a total of six years actually as a PT aide. Um, and I then decided to go full on into studying. My goal was to be a doctorate of physical therapy. And by the time that I was transitioning between my lower university degree to transition into my higher university degree to get a doctorate, I started to be jaded with the industry. And I thought, physical therapy doesn't really get anybody better, though. Is this really what I want to spend the rest of my life doing? And now, two decades later, I now very clearly see the problem 
that I just didn't work for good physical therapists. People didn't get better, but it wasn't physical therapy that was the problem that I thought it was. It was just the old, the small window that I was looking through that I understood as physical therapy didn't work. Um, and it just didn't make sense for me to pursue that anymore. So I decided um, to leave school knowing that I could always go back if I wanted to and decided to become a personal trainer, especially living in the state of California. Um, costs are high here. So I had to, I had to make a living somehow. So I decided working with able-bodied people was kind of a better path. I went through the typical route that a lot of young men will go through of, I wanted to get as big as possible. I wanted to get as strong as possible. I wanted to be impressive. Um, and I let ego kind of rule a lot of my decision-making. And when anyone goes down that route, and I'm sure some of your listeners will agree to this, uh, your body deals with the consequences of the choices. So spending six years working in physical therapy offices, studying kinesiology and exercise science in university and having a background of experience of kind of rehab, my body just started feeling worse and worse, but I had no tools to actually make it better. Like every, everything I could acknowledge at the time, it wasn't even like I realized it later. Everything at the time was a bandaid. Everything was just, yeah, this will make me feel better right now. But the problem is still very much here. Like I could lift today because of what I did. I will. And I will. But I'm going to feel worse tomorrow because this is actually not solving anything. And lifting is clearly the problem. Like I am getting tendonitis. I am getting issues. I'm getting aches and pains and they are getting worse. And I am now managing discomfort instead of actually building out some kind of performance program of becoming a better human. So it, um, the story goes into a much finer detail of like how I heard about Dr. Spina and who I was talking to at the time. But there was a couple points of contact where I just really heard about functional range systems. And this is really before it was actually called functional range systems because it was just Dr. Spina teaching by himself at the time. And it was, he just came into the U S for the first time because he's in Canada. Like it was just as he started, not his career because he has a much further background into the, um, manual therapy world. But when he entered the U S and started working with professional baseball teams, like that's right. When I caught wind of it, I was, a, I was an early adopter is what it would be called in the sense that I think I went to like the first or second course that was ever in the United States. And when I went there, as does to many people, when they hear the information for the first time, I'm nodding my head and aggressively taking notes and uh-huh, uh-huh, that sounds right. That sounds right. And I, I went there not for how most people treat it today, which is continuing education to become a better trainer, a more well-rounded trainer, take authority over the position of helping other people take care of their body. I went because I was like, I'm in pain and I don't know what to do. And I hear you could help. So what, what are we doing here? And when I was there and then listening to the lectures and listening to the going through the practical, I had this light bulb, which at the time felt unfortunate moment where I was like, oh my goodness, like, I don't think this is just about my body. I think this is how I'm supposed to train other people. Like some, I'm learning the missing pieces that I needed, but there's something bigger here and I could tell, and I, I need, I need to have an understanding of this. Then I got home. And I'm reading my notes because back then there was really no social media accounts. There was no website. There was no videos. Like now you get 15, 20 hours of videos to watch before every single course that we send to you guys. Um, none of that existed yet. So I go home and I have my notes and I'm like, why did it all make sense when it was said at the course? But now that I'm reading it in my written down version, I don't know what to do. So I ended up just repeating the course like six times over six months. Like I just followed Dr. Spina around the country. And um, I just, I, I had to absorb it every single time I left with a better understanding. Like every single time it was like, 
Now I, I it cemented what I understood from last time, and now I know how to take it a little further. And, then, and a month later, now I really have that cemented, and now I know what to do next, and now I know what to do next. And I, I'm starting to like really draw out that like whiteboard map of like how to take someone all the way from like the rehab spectrum to full on one percent of humans performance, right? And I, I'm slowly mapping it out. And eventually, I had the conversation with Dr. Spina, and he said it to me jokingly: "Was like, if you're going to keep showing up, I might as well give you a shirt." And it was a, a joke at the time, but ultimately that's how I earned my position traveling the world with him by accident. Um, and I got a mentor, like really, it wasn't called this and it wasn't defined this and it's not an offering that he has, but he was became my mentor and really one of my good, he's one of my closest friends to this day. Um, but I got to travel the world with him pretty much every couple of weeks for a couple of years. And it was a phenomenal experience because it, it really fast tracked me to understanding how to manage a homo sapien and their athletic demands and whatever experiences their body's going through. Um, and then after several years of traveling alongside him, um, he then kind of eventually trusted myself and a few other people that have been with him for a long time to start teaching the courses without him, which allowed us to now be at multiple places in a single weekend, which is why many years later when I met you, I was in Marlboro College with you know my own assistants and uh, go from there. So I'd say that's probably like the shortest version of how I can introduce myself and how I got to where I am. Um, it's a long story, started over two decades ago, um, and there's a lot of missing pieces of that story, but at any point we could dive into any of that. <laughs> I think six and a half minutes for two decades is pretty damn good. Right? That's pretty That's pretty good, right? <laughs> <laughs> I wish we could cure someone that quick. Do you, know, do you know what I mean? Like, you come in with two decades of pain and we cure in six minutes, this is what we do. Oh God, our job would be so much easier. I don't think it's supposed to be that easy, though, is it, for a reason? <laughs> Do you feel there are certain ranges throughout the human body that, as human beings, we need to have as almost a form of baseline? And I know this is a very difficult question to ask because I've contemplated on this many, many times, but I sent you a link the other day for, the, for Apple Vision, and we were just discussing that briefly we're fundamentally becoming less and less active because the world around us is getting easier to interact with. So it's coming to us, which means we get less resilient and versatile. So yeah, do you feel there are certain things as human beings that we should almost have in the box to allow us to function well or even thrive? I, I, I will get to your question, but to speak on the fact that you sent me that Apple Vision Pro thing the other day, one of my favorite Pixar films is WALL-E because it's just, it's the most, are you familiar with it? Did you have you seen it? Mm -hmm. It's the little robot that has to take care of humanity, kind of like that, because because humans have progressed down the technology scale of now just their floating chairs and bring them, and they have their Big Mac and their you know seventy two ounce soda next to them, and they're just traveling, and the screens just in front of their face, they're not even interacting with each other, and it's just you know this is the conversation we had the other day. It's 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 terrifying because something like that just kind of predicts the direction we're going in. Um, so fundamental motion of the the, the body, um, that, and you started with it, which is how I have to respond, which is that's a difficult question. It's a difficult question because the way that we teach it at the course is that there's no rule book to the human body that we're privy to as a seminar company who are traveling the world talking about joint mobility that we found in like a tomb somewhere that's some guidebook to humans that we have and you don't, right? Because that when people ask that question, they're like, how much is enough? It's like, well, for who? For Hunter, when I have like goals that are like circus-like tricks or David who wants to balance on one hand upside down or the stay-at-home grandmother who just wants to play on the ground with her grandkids and just wants to feel comfortable doing things. Like there's no rule book and there's clearly no answer that's just appropriate for everybody. 
So when it comes down to like fundamental, I'm thinking like, well, what makes a human fundamental? If a person can go about their daily tasks comfortably, I'd say that's the safest way for me to answer this question. So that's walking, standing, getting up from a seated position, and probably a little bit lower than a, lower than a seated position because occasionally we have to grab something a little bit lower than, say, a couch or some or a chair or a toilet. So being able to go through your daily tasks comfortably, being able to locomote, being able to walk and do these things pain-free, ideally, um, being able to grab things out of cabinets, being able to lift your kids up if you have kids, being able to get them into the car and be able to turn your body and do that without at risk of hurting yourself. Those things are fundamental to me because that's that's life. That's going to happen. That, that stuff doesn't ever get taken away from us. We have responsibilities. We have to provide for our family. We have to. You have, you have small children. You have to take care of them. You have to make sure that they are safe. You have to keep them out of danger. Sometimes that means moving your body quicker on other days and slower on other days. Like You have to be prepared for doing what is required to keep you and your family safe and healthy. And that is the fundamental thing. Everything else on top of that, which is really what the question is about, is more in the conversation of skill acquisition and therefore what are the prerequisites for skill acquisition. So for you and you want to hand balance, I would work way more on shoulder mobility with you than the stay-at-home grandmother who just wants to play with her grandkids who probably doesn't need the 180 degrees of shoulder flexion. It wouldn't hurt her to have it, but she doesn't need it because there's nothing she's doing that requires the ability to produce or absorb a lot of force there or hold her body upside down in that position. So um, the fundamental things are the daily things, like what is required. If you forgot about fitness as an activity and hobby, if you forgot about skill acquisition, if you forgot about handstands, if you forgot about named things like yoga and polite, if you just thought about like, what do I need to do to get my family to tomorrow? Those are the fundamental things. And I just want to make sure people can do those things comfortably. And I know you know this, but to announce it to the world, a lot of people don't have this. They really don't. A lot of people don't go about their day-to-day life on a comfortable basis. A lot of people walking is uncomfortable, and therefore anything faster than that is even worse. A lot of people squatting and picking things up on the ground, grabbing things from the back of their car, turning and reaching something to their children behind them is a threat to them because they are not strong and they don't have prerequisite range of motion and they are really challenged on a day-to-day basis. And so for me, I know something that uh, makes sense because of the name of your podcast, but when I pr- when I propose this conversation at the course, I say whenever I take on a new athlete or a new gen pop, it doesn't have to be uh, someone in a high-level athletics, although I work with both, it, I always think human first, athlete second, right? Like I, I always have to look at them and say, like, what can I do to make you a healthy human because if I could make you a healthier human, it'll translate into your athletics and everything that you want to do physically moving forward. But if we just focus on performance for the sport or activity, if I just focus on handstands, that could be at the expense of shoulder health or wrist health or whatever else. I know you know that because that's your domain, right? So there's a lot of people that like to skip steps and don't do the prerequisite work. And therefore, they're now doing something with the performance mindset and not the human mindset. And now they're ending up with a worse human shoulder over time or a worse human wrist over time. And they're getting that ganglion cyst or whatever else because now they're not building prerequisite either range or prerequisite capacity to take care of their body well. There's four ways I could go now, but I'm going to pick one. (laughs) Literally them. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> that, that that tends to be the case. And this is and this is how I teach, right? I'm like, somebody ask me a question because the rest of the day will handle itself. So all you have to do is trigger me in one direction. And then the rest of the day is now just rant, rave, explanation. <laughs> okay, we'll practical a little bit, but it's really just ranting and raving about the fact that like we we need to do a better job at, as an industry. We could we could do better. And that that's what this is all about. Yeah. And I also think that we're trying to find we're trying to get to an answer so quickly. And I think we fail to understand that 
I've talked about this before, but almost like that 10% rule. I think that's even been very generous that if it took me five years of patterns to end up the way I am today, for whatever reason that is, let's go back to a wrist issue, chronic issue. Sure. It would be very naive for me to think I'm really going to make any headway on that in under say five months. I know it does in certain, it depends completely, completely on the individual, the conditions, everything. However, if you go in with that mindset of I'm going to give it at least five months before I even attempt to see a difference, if it happens prior to that stage, you're going to see it's got to be a benefit. Um, and I think because we're trying to look for an answer, we've forgotten that unfortunately these things, well, not even unfortunately, it's just the way it is. We unravel a new question and that new question sets off a new journey. And within that, there's a huge learning process that starts to unfold because it's so multifaceted learning. It's not just if I do A, I get B. It could be if I do A, I get A7. And then it goes off at A7 part two. Exactly. This is what I try and explain to when I'm working with people is like, we might work here. Funny enough, I just got off a call with a gentleman in Hong Kong and he's a runner. And he said to me, can you help me with my running? I said, yeah, of course I can. But what we need to do is see what human beings turned up today or turn up on your movement screen. So doing the best I can with online tools, which is always a very challenging scenario. And I know, you know, we established that he didn't have certain ranges. We established that certain things hurt and we went to a very basic, let's try these things and see what happens. It's not, sure. I'm not guaranteeing you a result, but we're going to explore it. And you need to put the work in, which is the fundamental difference between seeing a result and not seeing anything happen at all is the work bit in the middle. hundred percent. And he did. He's been working hard every day. And two and a half months later, we checked in and he's got no spasms in his lower back. His hips are now moving well. He's got no pain in his ankles. They feel far stronger and his knees are no longer painful. And I said to him, that was my priority from the outset. Don't make things worse. Right. Don't injure you. Obviously is a priority. And let's get the components strong. Let's get those weak links strong. His running times have gone up and now he's gone from four to six runs a week because he wanted to. He's got the ability to do that now because we we worked on the components of the system. And I think that's where the misconception is of the system from an outsider's perspective is that it's trying to be this external training thing. But in reality, the map for anyone that has seen it, <laughs> you look at it the first time when you just join and go, what the, what the hell is this? Right. This is so complex in, 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 for someone that doesn't know the system that the external training is the bit, the very bottom in the corner that follows all of this internal work. And I think people are mistaking the system as the internal process for this external thing that they see on social media. Yep. Do you agree? I agree. With this? I agree. Um, I'm also having a problem with our conversation that I put a pin in like five things you said that I want to come back to. Please do. Um, because I, I I'll, I'll get I'll get to the flow chart, but I want to I want to go back to something you said, which was the whole like five months conversation, mm. right? And that's that's a number because you can insert any number here, and we can have a conversation about it. And when I take on a new client, one of the ways that I explain it to them because months, years, it's all it's all just us shifting things in the right direction. And I say one of the things that I know you've heard before is I think humans grossly overestimate what they can accomplish in their first year doing something but grossly underestimate what they can accomplish in like a five-year window, right? But that's so hard for humans to wrap their head around because we just can't, due to the natural way that our brain is set up from an evolutionary perspective, we care about the here and now primarily. 
because for millions of years, the name of the game was survival. So you, you couldn't think about five years down the road when we were surviving. And although life has gotten much more cush, and now we can do things that we enjoy and talk on podcasts from across the world, your brain hasn't changed much. Your brain itself hasn't changed much. So it cares about the here and now. It's very hard to actually convince someone about a goal that we're saying, oh, that might take years. And so I'll give my own little personal story here, and then we'll come back to the flowchart thing, which is when I first found FRS, and I dove in, like I was like, this is this is now what I'm focusing on. I need to rebuild. And because everything immediately felt better, like just even just by starting the work, I just I, I had the intelligence within me to be like, I found the missing piece. And that's the most common thing that's said to me when I talk to somebody that's taken the course and now they're a couple months in and they're starting to work on it. They're like, this is what was missing. This is I found it. And so I, when I started working on it and I worked on it daily, like I obsessed about bettering my body's capacities. The first time that I said, oh, wow, I think it's better. I want to show people that it's better. And you know, you want to show people it's better because I wanted to post it on Instagram. So that's how you know this is a serious deal. Like I had a before and after that was worth sharing because it was going on Instagram, right? Like this is, this is presenting it to the ether, to the world. And and the time window between me learning it and me having the progress that I was like, oh, wow, I think it's actually better was two years. It was two years. And then I tell people that, and I'll, I'll say this at the FRC course, because people say like, how long is it going to take to get better? So I tell them this story. And then I say, just to come back a step, I've then now, a decade later, <laughs> have had people make more progress in their first six weeks than I had in my my two-year window. Now, is that because they're just a better responder to the work? Is that because I have a lot more experience in my belt and I actually know what I'm doing now? And when I started in those first two years, I had no idea what I was doing and I was just trial and erroring a bunch of nonsense and doing way too much volume and not and not not really appropriately training. It's probably some kind of combination. Right, I probably program a whole lot more intelligently now. There's also uh, the fact that we are responding differently to the same stimuli. Right, everyone's body responds differently, and this goes to another thing you said: the whole like, hey, if you put input A, you get output not B, but you get B seven, or I forget the way that you worded it. But it was along those lines, like because, and that's this is something I actually talked on the podcast with Dr. Spina recently. Me and him did a conversation when I was in Toronto last, and I said there's. A series of words, and it was actually actually Dr. John Seratziosis that had this conversation at the, in Marlboro when we were together. He said, the human body is a dynamic system. It is a complex system. It's a biological system. It's a three-dimensional system. It's an organic system, and it is a nonlinear system. Now, each one of those things, we could finish this podcast just talking about any one of those topics, but the one that you brought up is the nonlinear conversation. We are a nonlinear system, meaning input does not equal output. So I could take 10 people and give them a set of hip external rotation, pales, rails, and I could do my best to coach them all perfectly. So it's equal. I'm going to put that in quotes if, in case you're listening to audio and not, not video. If I could train everyone equally, but I will get different results from every single person because, because we are a nonlinear system. I can take the same person and then do the same input a day later or a week later, and I'm going to get a different output because we are not a robot. Like a computer is a linear system. When I press a certain button on my computer today, when I press that same button tomorrow, it does the same thing. So input equals a specific output, but that is not how a biological dynamic system works. You can't just put something into it and know what the outcome is. And that's what makes training so frustrating to people is because 
they look up like their favorite celebrities or pro athletes program, which is in, like the men's health magazine. It says this exercise for three sets of 10 and this exercise for this and this exercise for this. And then they don't look or perform like their pro athlete. And they're like, what did I do wrong? I did what he did. It's like, well, fir first thing, first thing to understand is that's his program today when the interviewer asked him it. Like that's today's program. What about the last three decades of training that you just ignored that he did to get to that point? You didn't do any of that. So why should you expect the outcome he's getting out of today's training session when you haven't done the prerequisite three decades of work? It's, it's outrageous to think that you could just pick up where they are now and get, get to be where they are now without all that prerequisite work. It's, it's a wild thought, but that's what's propagated because of social media, because of magazines, um, because of testimonials, because of people, charlatans on the internet sharing quick fix testimonials. Like that, that is a, a, a problem that we encounter, you and I specifically, but other good coaches out there, because we have to dismantle other people's worldviews about how the body changes, because everyone else is trying to say, you know, if you hired me, it would happen quicker. And you and I both know that that's, that's already the wrong answer because we shouldn't be trying to do it quicker. Anything that could probably get it done a little quicker is going to come at some kind of cost. So we don't want things to be quick. Imagine, imagine how fragile of a species we would be if things changed quickly. Like if your body just molded quickly to a stimulus, we would have been wiped out so long ago. Like the office chair, I'm sitting in a chair, the office chair would be insulting to the human body. If your body changed to something like that, like foam and rubber quickly, we would have such a problem. So people go, oh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I get it. Well, then why do you expect it that when you put a high effort stimulus into your body, like a training stimulus, why, why do you think it's just going to magically change quickly? You are fighting the fact that all your internal system, your brain and your chemistry cares about is just getting you to tomorrow. It just wants to keep you alive. It just wants to keep you, it, it just wants survival as the name of the game. And if you stress it appropriately, which is what you and I do for a living, if you stress it appropriately, it gets challenged enough and goes, so like I should adapt to be a little bit better in case that stressor comes along again. And then if you do that intelligently long enough, we end up with better moving, better feeling, better performing humans in the long run. And I don't even remember what I put a pin in to get here. But if there was an original question that I didn't answer, let me know and I'll come back. To My it. brain's on the, the next bit that you've already said anyway. So <laughs> I know that, that, that you, we both acknowledged this was going to happen. You're going to ask me good. a question. I'm not going to answer it. I'm just going to talk about something that you said. And then we're going to forget the question anyway. And we're just going to keep going. That's, gonna have, that's, that's how it works. And if you're listening and you have questions, that's fundamentally what this was all about anyway. <laughs> <laughs> These open-ended questions. It's like, well, hold on. He never actually answered the question. <laughs> so uh, it's the guru approach. We just uh, leave it open and let you work it out. Yep. The other thing that's really fascinated me recently is doing the same. If you do the same thing but change that narrative around, it change the internal, the flash, the the flashlight, the torch moves to a different part of the body. So I'm working this, but my my focus is: can I achieve this specific attribute from an exercise I've done for ten years? On the outside, it could appear different sorry, the same, but on the inside, it's a very different process. And I think many of us are taking these programs as it's, it's written down, like you said, three sets of 10, da, 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 whatever. One, there's the human variation. Two, there's an internal process that sits behind this, behind that human. So regardless what his routine is, his right. diet, what his PT's given him, what is, what is he thinking? Where is his intent? And even if he knew that, it would be a very different a very different uh, play, a very different, um, it would mean something very different to you. If someone says, I like you versus I like you, 
Same words, different intent. <laughs> the, the second one made me blush a little bit. Just Maybe that truly, was my intent. Very strong. <laughs> Oh, but yeah, yeah. You, I mean, I think I think it's so important. Yeah. <laughs> but so so with this conversation, yeah, with this conversation, like I think I agree with you, obviously, because this is what I travel the world to teach is intent, right? Like we're making sure that you are getting the intent and the intention and this the stimulus and the intensity all dialed in to get the adaptation that you want out of somebody. But it's more easily understood if if you didn't know what I did for a living. If you're still listening and you've never heard of me, you've never heard of functional range systems. If you've never heard of internal training, internal strength model, any of the stuff that I travel and teach. The best way I can explain this to somebody just from a workout perspective is go to a like gold's gym in Venice, like the mecca of bodybuilding. And what you're going to see is like an out of shape, like office worker next to like one of the world's best bodybuilders. And they're going to have the same weights in their hands. They're both going to have 15 pound dumbbells in their hands doing bicep curls. And it's like <laughs> what's happening externally is they're both just lifting the weights. They're, they're bringing it from point A to point B. But one clearly looks very different than the person because of obviously years and years of work, but also like how the person is performing it because of intent, target tissue, and intensity is wildly different. Like it's not that because this person's a massive human being, they need to go to a higher weight. They need to increase the stimuli to make sure that they are adapting and not accommodating. But that doesn't happen. The progressive overload process doesn't have to happen with just more numbers on the dumbbell, kettlebell, barbell. It can happen internally as well. That's what people learn a lot with our system. So the bodybuilder is very focused on getting the contraction exactly where he wants it in the bicep, and he's focusing on tempo, and his, his intent is around the mechanical stimulus that he is creating in the tissue to try and create change. Whereas the office workers just saying, I hear, I hear bicep curls are important. So it's just point A to point B. This is what my bicep does. I just bring it up, bring it down. There's very low intent. There's very low tension. Things are a little floppy and he's doing a million reps because it's taking that long to get tired and he's not getting much out of it. And then his, his wrist is starting to feel it, and his shoulders starting to feel it. And he hardly feels it in his bicep at all because he's doing a bicep curl, but not with the intent of challenging specific bicep tissue. And that's what we're talking about here is that like two people doing the same thing is not the same thing, even if it looks like it. And that's what makes programming so hard because David, if I give you a program and I say, Hey, I want a 100% max intensity, hip external rotation, pales, rails. I, I know, you know what to do. You put enough time in, you know what to do. If I take on somebody that just took the FRC course this last weekend, and that was their first exposure to the system, I can't write that on a piece of paper and give it to them. They, they will verbally acknowledge, I know what to do. Thank you. But they will not do what you do now that you're several years into the practice. So it, even though it's you both did the same exercise, you both did very different things because it takes practice and reps and time and effort to understand this conversation around intent, intensity, and and purpose behind training. The other thing that comes to mind is clarity of signal. Like how clear is the signal that's being sent to the body? Paul Cech uh, that actually said this, he said, the more motor units that are recruited, the more important the nervous system assumes that movement is. So as more motor units are recruited, if the form starts to deteriorate, you're sending a poor signal to the body. However, if the intent is to build more muscle tissue, that might be something that you're trying to do. However, I think it's something that needs to be managed. Certain parameters need to be put in place to establish. 
whatever the intent was in the initial phases, i.e. clear signal, better form gives me this or to failure because I need more stuff. Would you be able to sort of go a bit deeper on like the clarity of signal? Because I don't think people understand this concept. Right. I think like that's that's a tough like this is a whole section at the internal strength model, right? Like it's a whole it's a there's several videos to watch that goes into a several hour practical around intent and signal. And it's the conversation about like signal versus noise. And the way that, you know, this is not this is like us talking about this is not the first people that have talked about signal versus noise. It's a very popular conversation in many different uh, fields of study. But in signal versus noise, what we're saying is that most people's training program is filled with a lot of noise. It's just it's just clutter. It's just it's just not it's not signals. It's not things that your body cares about. It's just damage, just volume. It's just reps. Um, we call it the volume problem in the in the functional range systems. And there's people that are just their only solution to get more out of themselves or their clients is, well, I didn't get what I want, so I do more tomorrow. I did three sets today, but I still don't look the way I want. I'll do four sets tomorrow. If I don't look the way I want after that, I'll do five sets. If I don't look the way after that, I'll do six sets. I'll just keep going. And they're adding noise. They're not adding signals. Out of most people's training, there's very few signals that are sent. And what we try and do in our system is to teach people what is the actual mechanism behind these signals. What, what are the, the neurological mechanisms? What are the biological determinants? What are the things that we are aiming to change in the human body to get this signal that we want out of the person? And for a lot of people, what they don't realize is its intensity is the driver of adaptation, right? It is intensity and intent. That's what we've been talking about the whole time. So we know that already. So now we're adding on besides intent, there's intensity to get the endocrine response, to get the metabolic response, to get the hormonal response for your body to respond to the stimulus. It is intensity, not conscious decision. You can't say, I want to change and it's not volume, so I'll add more. It is whether or not you're hitting the intensity where your body goes, oh crap, I need to be better than this. And whether that's like you, you were about to get to laying down more slow twitch tissue or making slow twitch tissue more efficient or laying down more fast twitch tissue or getting more uh, fast twitch efficiency or do I need to open up more capsular space? Do I need to build load bearing capacity? Do I want to lay better connective tissue architecture? These are all things that the research over decades has shown us there's a way to hit these signals. But the fitness industry and the strength and conditioning industry, although is has availability to this information hasn't changed anything that they're doing training their athletes or their clients or their family or their friends knowing this they still just say well my client didn't get stronger so more reps more volume more reps more they because they can make someone feel a better workout putting that in air quotes again a better workout because they're getting a more sweat they're getting more sore and then the person responds like oh my god that was an amazing workout but you know what was missed the signals. So a lot of people are spinning their wheels in the gym and they go, they're committed. They are going to the gym week in, week out, week in, week out, and not getting better because their program is filled with noise and there's very few signals. So one of the things that we do, and we, we try to do, we clarify at our courses is, and the flow chart is what you referenced a little while ago, is every single box is a different input. And then it gets even more detailed as you go into the internal strength model outside of FRC. But every single box is a single input. And I want you to know what the intent is, what the intensity required for changes, 
what adaptation we are changing, uh, chasing um, and the procedure to follow that. Because if you understand what the research says, how to, say, open up capsular space or lay down connective tissue architecture, then there's just a systematic way to do it. Just do what the research says changes the white stuff more. We know that if we want to get better connective tissue architecture, I'm going to train at length or to length. I can't do mid-range of motion or regressive tissue if my goal is laying down better white stuff. That's not an opinion. That's just what the science says. So understanding the signals is paramount if you're going to be in the job of managing another homo sapiens performance or health, because if they need something and they don't have it, you have to know how to acquire it. But the fitness industry, a lot, and I, this is going to sound so bad, I'm going to be forever on record saying this, but the, the barrier for entry is so low. It, it is like there's a lot of people that are training other humans just because they like exercise, because they were an athlete, because they look the part. They have a six pack and they go, well, I clearly figured it out for myself. So I'm going to collect money from other people and train people to do what I did. But that's not that's not good coaching. That's not good science. You're just saying, hey, what worked for you, an N of one doesn't mean that the old lady you trained from down the street is going to respond the same as you as a 22-year-old kid who's full of you know good hormones right now and has never had an injury in your life. As soon as you train a middle-aged man with his injury history, what you do for your body will not apply to that body. So one of the biggest clarifying things, especially with our continuing education, is clarifying what inputs do what. What are you aiming? What are we doing? What are you aiming for? Because if I would ever ask anyone to do anything, especially like cars, which I say, do this every day. If I would ever ask someone to do something, time is our most valuable resource. I don't want to waste anybody's time. So when I'm when I'm dealing with a gen pop person and they have a bunch of time, right? Because they just have to go to work and then come back. They got a couple hours to kill. They're going to train. They're going to walk, walk their dog, play with their family. Like they can do what I ask. But when I work with like the 1% of the world's athletes, like the top performers, they don't have a single minute to waste in their programming. So now it's even more important that you understand, okay, if this person needs to get more explosive, what is it that creates that? And the fitness industry answer is like, oh, it's obviously Olympic lifting. Yeah, I, 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 would, I would strongly disagree with that if they're not an Olympic weightlifter. But there's a certain way we could train someone to become more explosive without just changing the sport. I'm not going to take my track athlete and do them have Olympic weightlifting because they're a track athlete, not Olympic weightlifter. So understanding the clarity of why you're doing what you're doing, what are we doing, what are we chasing, um, now suddenly we're not just exercising people, which is unfortunately how the fitness industry, uh, that's the, the main approach is just let people – you know, participate in their choices on what they need to do, which I'm, I'm going to take a step back. I'm fine with because enjoyment of exercise is a big factor in keeping people committed long-term. So I'm not saying people shouldn't have a choice at all in what they do, but like in my facility, like people don't come to me and then there's like a menu board of exercises behind me. And I say, tell me what you want to do today. Like, just tell, tell me what, what entertains your, your curiosity. It's like, no, what, wh why'd you hire me? Oh, cause you need, you need your shoulder hurts or your hip hurts. And if that's the case, there's clearly something we need to better about that joint. And then I'm not going to give you a menu board to pick from. I already know what I need to do with you. I need to know what adaptation we're chasing. And then I might say like, hey, like, what are your goals? What do you want to get to? Oh, you want to get back to pain-free squatting? Of course, let's get you back to squatting. I want you to partake in the goal setting. But when it comes to training, like we're not, we're not buddies here in the gym. I'm your trainer. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take you and I'm going to give you what you need. And I'm going to dose in a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, sweetness with the medicine. I'm going to give you a little bit of what you want and then uh, give you what you need. But I ideally, people are hiring me not to just give them exercises they like. It, it comes down to finding out what 
capacities or prerequisites are missing in the system and, and get them to their point B safely, efficiently, and effectively. I, once again, don't even remember the question. It's all good. <laughs> uh, I know where I'm going. <laughs> I, uh, I had a call with someone a while ago and, and I can say this cause he's, he's happy for me to talk about it. And also he's become a good friend. And he said, the way I want this to go, I smiled and he said, why are you smiling? I said, your movement screen tells me something very different to what you want from this whole scenario. And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, your spine doesn't move. Some bits move, some bits don't move at all. Um, and you've got back pain, but you want to do this incredible thing. How about we just work towards this, but we need to put this back in. Like we need to get this working as it, as it was maybe once upon a time or never, but we need to get this working to, to give you the attributes for this. And we always laugh about it. We even laugh, we were laughing about this yesterday. He said, I'm so sorry I came in with that viewpoint of telling you what I wanted from the situation because you were just assessing the human that turned up there and then. And that is something that stuck with me because you said this in Marlborough, I'm paraphrasing, of course, the person that turns up on that day is the person you're dealing with, not 100%. the person. Obviously, you have medical history, et cetera, but you're not dealing with the person that turned up a year ago or two months ago. It's what is in front of me today. Would you agree that cars has the ability to be a good assessment tool and are there other tools that people could utilize to assess themselves every day? But equally, if they're a coach, what is the value of having an assessment tool and why is it so important to have reference points when you're looking at a client? Sure. Coming back to cars, an assessment tool, I promise. I have to speak on something you said because that's the way my brain works. I'll write a note. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so don't let me not answer that question. Um, so the, the way that I'll present this at the course is the, the way that the human brain is, uh, you know, is made is, is that we're, we're such curious creatures. So people will come in and they have their medical history that they give me, right? So like I've had this injury, this, this, and that. And then I start to assess them and we find all the things that I would have found anyways. So their hip doesn't rotate, their spine doesn't segment. And then they start to do what I call the game of detective. And they say, well, do you think the injury I had when I was 14 and I broke my arm and I did this, is that why my arm can't go overhead? And do you think that it's because I played football and then my my, my kid crashed into me and now my knee feels weird? Like, is that what caused this? And I go... I, I don't I don't know and I don't care and I'm not trying to sound rude, but the game of detective does us a complete disservice because now we're just wasting time and time is money and I don't want to waste your time and I don't want to waste your money because the reality is the human body in front of me is the only thing that matters. So whether or not your curious mind got the story right or not doesn't change how we move forward from today. So you either have something or you don't and if you don't have it, I know how to get it back. So it doesn't matter if it's your kid's fault or your wife's fault or that neighbor down the street's fault. It doesn't matter why you don't have it. You don't have it. So let's train to get it back. We don't need to actually fully understand your history to come to this conclusion. So that's that's kind of what I talk about from an assessment perspective is like I, I'm, I'm big on assessing. My assessment, if you came to me, David, we're assessing for over three hours. Like it is at least minimum three hours that I spend with a new person to get a full body assessment. I'm trying to collect as much physical information as possible. And you've been to the FRA. So the, I don't, I don't know if you heard this uh, phrase at that course, but um, when we first started teaching it, the way we would explain it is most humans in today's world go to get a physical every year. They go to their doctor and they get a physical, 
But the reality is, is that's a really bad name for it because there's nothing physical about it. They should call it a chemical because you're really just getting your blood chemistry checked. So where's your vitamin D? Where's your testosterone, estrogen? What are your hormone levels? What's your lipid panel look like? Is you high cholesterol? Are you in a normal range? Normal is going to be in quotes. Are you in a normal range? Like for all these things, but you're really just getting your blood chemistry looked at. Now, the only reason that that information would ever be valuable to the human in front of them is if you agree to collect data long-term. So you go back every year so that you can not only compare it to the normal for society, but your baseline normal. Because let's just say, David, you came to me, I'm the doctor, I'm bringing you through a physical today, and I found your cholesterol was high today. But you go, my cholesterol has not only been normal, it's been on the low end of normal for the last 15 years, and suddenly it's skyrocketed over here. That could be user error, that could be test error, something could just be wrong, but you're not going to freak out because you're like, I've been healthy for decades. I don't actually know if that's true. You're not going to drastically change your life because of it, but you are only not freaking out because you've been collecting data for years and you know what your normal is. Let's say person two is high today, but the last 10 years, it's been here, a little higher, a little higher, a little higher, a little higher, a little higher. And now they're up here. It's like, well, you've actually been trending in that direction for a long time, you're, you, you have high cholesterol now. And now, since we know that, once again, since we've been collecting data long-term, we could act on it. So the FRA is the physical physical. When I bring someone through an FRA, it is literally, you're coming to me as a to get a physical done. Physically, show me what your shoulder can do. Does it explore its workspace well? Does it have good passive range of motion qualities? Does it have good tissue extensibility? Do you have good neurological control of that range? Can you actively show me that you could recreate what I passively brought you through for every joint in every direction in every possible situation, which is why it takes hours, right? So I'm literally collecting all of the physical data about your body. And when I meet someone new, I say this is simultaneously the most important and the least important assessment you'll ever get from me. It's the most important because I just met you and I need to have a baseline of information so I can be like, Okay, based off all that, I would start with this, this, and this. Like These are the big rocks you need to focus on. It's the least important because I have nothing to compare it to. It's your first assessment with me. We need to start collecting data over time to even know what your normals are. And the hope is that every three, six, or 12 months, people come back to me for more physicals so that we could just make sure that one, the training that I'm convincing them of doing is working because that's a big thing for me. It's like, hey, if you're going to pay me for advice and information and exercises, I'm going to prove to you that this stuff works. So a big part of the assessment, one, is to collect the data, photos, videos, everything else. So I could show you, hey, look, you don't even remember because this is not how consciousness works. You don't even remember what your hip was like six months ago because all your brain cares about is how it felt today. And I'm going to remind you, because I took videos of it, look how bad your hip was when you met me. And look how much better it is six months from now. And now people go, and people, I'm telling you, 100% of the time, without fail, they go, I don't remember it being like that. And I go, I, I know. You're not supposed to. That's why we collect that. Just like you didn't remember you had high cholesterol last year. Like You're not supposed to remember those things. That's data collection. We're supposed to be managing the homo sapien well. So with the assessment process and dealing with the human in front of me, the body, as to, I think this is answering your original question tells me what it needs, but it only tells me what it needs because I'm comparing what we call their point A. Every assessment's a new point A. And then I'm comparing that to their point B, not Hunter's point B for this athlete. I don't pick what my clients want to do. If someone, I don't CrossFit, but if a CrossFitter hires me, I'll help them be better at CrossFit. So if I understand the demands of their activities and sports, I, that's their point B. And then their point A is just, what can your body do today? Does that match what you're telling me you want to do with your body? 
And if there's a gap there, and there always is, that's why we do, that's why we're busy, we're busy people, there's always a gap between their point A and point B, then it's very systematic. It's the flow chart, the system. So if they have a lack of uh, range of motion, I know exactly what input on the flowchart to do it. If they have sufficient passive range of motion, but they have a passive to active gap, that's a different box on the flowchart. If they're passive and active or close to each other, and it's enough range of motion, like I actually don't need to open up range of motion for this joint in this direction, we can focus on end range control and full range control. We can just get that person wickedly strong in the ranges that their sport's going to require. Just build capacity. That's of course, what I, that, that's what I want to get to with everybody, is just building capacity. But for a lot of people, they skip the other things I just mentioned, and they're building capacity on dysfunctional joints, painful joints, a lack of prerequisites. So now they're just increasing ability to create tension in ranges of motion that they can't even – or in positions that aren't required for their sport because they can't even get there. Dr. Spina would wear this. He, if you listen to any of his podcasts, you can't move or you can't move. So you can't prepare someone for the demands of their sport if their joint can't even get into that position. So that's why for a lot, like a lot of people know FRC as like the people that open up range of motion. Well, that's because a lot of people don't have the range of motion for the activities they're trying to do. It's not the only thing we do. We take, we take athletes to the highest level of performance. We work with every major league organization, mostly in the world today. So if we, if we were only people that open up range of motion, we wouldn't work with all those uh, high level professionals and teams. So it, it goes much further than that. We have a whole performance side of our business as well. It's just that if someone doesn't have range of motion, that is paramount from a movement variability perspective to get back if we want their body to do what they want to do, which was identified by them telling us what they want to do with their body. I have done a number of other courses as well, and many of them reference the same literature that is discussed within FRC, uh, ISM, internal strength model, etc. I believe one of the biggest misconceptions about functional range systems as a whole is that it is using its own research and different studies as opposed to just viewing the same literature from a different angle. Would you be able to speak a bit more about this? Sure. So when a lot of people will come up at the course and they'll be like, we'll do passive range liftoffs, you know, lifting your leg in the air. Okay. And somebody will come up who has like a dance or Pilates background. They're like, this looks awfully similar to this method that I learned from this person. And they're like, I, I, or I've done isometrics before too, because I learned from somebody else that heavily uses overcoming isometrics in their training. It's like, of, of course, like not, not, you come to FRC, none of this should be a shock to be, it is, it is, but it shouldn't be a shock because none of this is new. The literature that created functional range systems is, is it's, all, it's all the new stuff. Everything that everything is read, everything is read. The people at the top, are the biggest nerds I know. Like they, all they do is read all the literature. So everything is read. So it's all the new stuff, but it's also decades old. A lot of the research is decades old at this point. That doesn't make it invaluable because you're not supposed to just say, okay, the only valuable research is done in the last two years. How, what a disservice to science that would be if everything in the past suddenly was discredited because of an age to it. That doesn't make sense in the realm of science at all. Once again, that's only how the fitness industry views it. No other industry in the world thinks of old science as bad science. We're just trying to build on the structure of science. So you don't, you don't just say it's got a shelf life. That's not how science works. So. When you look at the top-down view of the literature, and like you read everything, which is what the people at the top have done, so Dr. Spina, Dr. Chivers, Dr. John, Seratziotis, like they just organized it. They said, well, if you really look at it, if you compile it into the different areas, concentric efforts in human tissue do this well, this well, and this well, but they clearly, because of science, 
don't do this, don't do this, and don't do this. If you look at the eccentric literature, they do this and this, and they actually have a little crossover with the concentric thing over here. But now that we've studied this for decades, it's obvious they don't do this, they don't do this, they don't do this. Overcoming isometrics seem to be the shining star over here. They do this the best, but they don't do this and they don't do this. Yielding isometrics, which is still isometric, but it's different to the human body, has a little bit of crossover with overcoming isometrics, but they don't do that shining star thing very well. And better, they're actually used in this application and this application, but don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And when you can really look at decades of literature on all of these topics and you start to organize it into what it does well and what it doesn't do well, that's the flow chart. That is the flow chart. That is what was done. We are teaching an organization of everything out there. That's why it's not like the acronyms within the system are, are the coined terms and doctors being a cars, pales, pales are just overcoming isometrics. Like you could, you could research any of it. You're just not going to find it in the literature as a pales contraction. You're just going to look in the literature for overcoming isometrics. And if you type in isometrics and mechanical transduction, isometrics and blood flow, isometrics and cortical remapping, isometrics and reducing pain, isometrics and increasing strength, everything that we claim that we're doing in our system all the literature exists. And it's not just from this year, it's decades. And there are some this year, but then you, ha you have to keep going back. You have to look at the top down view of everything to really get an idea of how, well, if I want to get this outcome out of my client, the research clearly says, this is what I want. If I want to improve the growth factors and really like kind of stimulate that hormonal response, like man, eccentrics do that better than isometrics it's not an opinion which is what the research shows over and over again so if i'm trying to increase those growth factors like i'm going to get my clients to eccentric training if that's if that's the goal at hand so when it comes down to it like we're not trying to like you said i, I forget how you worded it, but we're not trying to teach something new we're trying to teach someone new and old but it's really just a better organization of everything that exists out there and it's systemizing it so that you don't have to read all everything that's the, when I travel and teach FRC, I'm just trying to say like, look, here's everything, but let me teach you how to think. I'm going to try and make you a critical thinker this weekend. If I could get you to ask better questions, you will come to better answers and we make it easy for you because the question is on the flowchart, and then the line that comes off it forks. And it's, it's, if it's this answer, you do this exercise. If it's this answer, you do this exercise. And then if you want to dive into why we do that exercise, well, that's what we teach at the course. I can't do that in a podcast, right? But that's what we teach at the FRC course. So now that we're in the Pales Rails box, here's the literature behind it. Here's the science behind it. Here's why we would do it this way. Here's why we would ramp up a contraction instead of just go max effort right from the start. Here's why we would do this. Like you have to, you have to look at everything on top of all the principles that underlie it all, which are, are principles that apply to us because it's what we teach, but it also it just applies to the human. So understanding specificity, understanding progressive overload. And then with our system, the way that we explain it is really understanding bioflow. It's our term for anatomy. It's, the, it's basically saying how the continuity and unity of human tissue exists in living human anatomy compared to what most people learn in university, which is dead person anatomy, where there's this great separation between structures and compartments. That, that separation doesn't exist in the, in the friend you're training at the gym. So you can't just say the muscle starts here and ends here and tendon starts here. It doesn't work like that in human bodies. You have to have the bioflow understanding to really understand how force is propagated from one tissue to the next. And then understanding dynamic systems theory, which is 
probably one of the most dense topics I've ever tried to lecture on in the world. But really, like I said earlier, that whole list of systems that we are, one of the things that was in that list was we are a dynamic system. Dynamic systems theory is not something that just applies to human anatomy. It's something that applies to all biology. And you have to understand dynamic systems theory a little bit. You don't have to be an expert on it, but you have to understand it a little bit because all of like the motor programming researchers, all the people that like teach and study human movement and human performance collectively agree that dynamic systems theory is probably our current best understanding of how our nervous system interacts with our biology. So it's not FRS's opinion. It's the world's opinion about dynamic systems theory just being a, a better understanding compared to what we thought in the 80s and 90s that like movements were motor programs and that we had like programs in our brain. And then the last thing, which is the how we start every FRS course, which is if you combine all of those things with what we call the evolutionary perspective of health, or really just understanding the species that you're training and the stressors that forged our genome to get to where we are, if you can really wrap your head around those principles and topics, you take care of another person well. And that is another reason why I gravitate towards this training, because I think this is the missing piece, or many of the missing pieces I was trying to search for when I was going through training is I was doing certain skills, sort of, I felt they were the packaging. I was going, okay, I've, I feel like I've got this to a degree, not mastered it by any means, whatever that means, but starting to learn it and getting to a better standard. But still, once I've attained it, there's something else to this. There's something deeper that we're working with. And I felt it was because the light was pointing outwards, not inwards. And that's what I wanted to get to. And when I found this and a couple of other bits and pieces, and as I started to dive deeper in my martial arts practice and um, my own training and ask deeper questions, more searching questions, I started to learn a bit more about myself and how I moved. And I felt the cars was a good starting point. But I, again, I feel that people may see controlled articulated rotations from social media, whatever it might be. And they may assume we're just warming up our shoulders and we've done that in every system we've ever done. But again, the intent's very different. Would you be able to explain a little bit about what a controlled articulated rotation is, how it's used as an assessment tool as well, and equally some little rules that the system has very cleverly put together in order to teach us how to address the human body, i.e. spine versus every other joint in the human body. Sure. So, I mean, the question you just asked, just to ex explain the difficulty of, of, of what you're uh, laying out for me, takes eight hours on day one of FRC. <laughs> so to uh, shorten that into a three or four or five minute section is going to be a near impossibility. But because because really like and I, and I mean this and I and I and I and I love you David but the the reality is like the eight hours that I take at FRC is still the shortened version of it because I could I could take that into three days four days five days of practice to really get someone to understand why we're doing what we're doing I wish I had more time it's just that the seminar industry just really likes weekends that just seems to be what everyone collectively agrees is a good idea to do continuing education and this goes back to our one of our touch points earlier you and I both agree that really a mentorship or apprenticeship is a much better form of learning something in depth to the ability that you want um, because a two-day a two course is a skeleton. It, it's, it's the bare bones of the system that you're really learning, and then it's your job to, to dive in afterwards. So cars are, they, like when you're looking at it without knowing what's going on, it's a joint circle, right? But what's actually happening, it's, it's, it's so much more in-depth than that. And I, I hate to make it sound like it's this amazing thing that it's not, but there's there's buckets that it checks from an assessment perspective, 
And then from a rehab perspective, from a training perspective, it could be used in the treatment process. If you are a manual therapist, like it checks so many buckets, uh, you know, I'm, I'm having a, I'm having a hard time answering this without just going right into my lecture mode because I I have all of all of my PowerPoint slides memorized and now I, I'm just I'm literally looking at the slide in my head. Okay, we have range of motion uh, maintenance. We have articular health and longevity. We have screening for assessment for range of motion. Like I have all those things. Like these are all different topics we could talk about, and I can't teach the FRC course on a on a podcast. It just, I just don't have the time. It's it's not it's not a possibility, right? So really like cars is a representation of your articular workspace and workspace is not even a term that we made up it is in the literature workspace is the volume around your body that you can explore around a given joint independently you could look at like this is being studied in the human body it's not and it's not frs scientists doing it it's just a term that the industry that's researching joint health and things like that is uh, acquiring and, and using that terminology and, and we're going to use workspace as well because it's really the best definition of it and what we define is that what really dictates your articular workspace with the volume that you can move a joint through space is you have to go deeper internally, like you're saying, to the capsular space, because that's going to be the limiting tissue that defines workspace. So what is the capability of the capsule tissue to explore its tissue extensibility? And somebody that has real poor range of motion and painful joints is going to have a very small capsular space. It's going to be a very tight capsule with poor afferents. And therefore, that's going to represent itself as probably an ugly looking small car right? When somebody has a healthy joint with high degrees of freedom and high healthy afferents, therefore good movement variability, you have good capsular space and therefore you could represent around your body as good articular workspace. You could explore the global workspace quite well because of that. So when I'm watching someone's cars, I'm not just looking at joint circles. I'm quite literally seeing the potential of their body to do things within external training in the standard model of training, like watching you do one cars routine, I could let you know what the next six months of your programming should look like from an internal training perspective from the FRS flowchart, and from an external training perspective, like, all right, for that person, I don't think it's the best use of time to have a handstand practice right now, because clearly their spine doesn't move into extension, their scapulas don't move at all. And clearly, they are very far away from 180 degrees of shoulder flexion, right? I could, I could watch a few minutes of cars, and already know the internal training I would change and already know the external training I would change. I, I have the eye for it because I've been obsessing about it for years. It's not that simple. I can't show someone else that and be like, see, it's obvious because it's not obvious to someone that's not looking for those things. But what we're, what we're trying to accomplish from an assessment perspective is it's literally just saying, show me what that joint can do independently of other joints because we want articular independence before we get articular interdependence. I want the joint to do what it's supposed to do by itself before I ask it to play nicely with others. And this is going to be one of those things that I, I it's going to be very hard to portray with this little box that we have on the screen, but it, I'll, I'll do my best. So I give the example at the course and I normally show two hip cars. I say, here's one hip car of mine and then here's another one. And they're drastically different. One is me giving an honest rep. It's me really irradiating, creating tension. And what I do is I keep my pelvis almost perfectly still, like it's stuck in cement. And I move the femur relative to pelvis around the space. And I do what's called a hip car. And if you could imagine that, like if you're watching this on video, if I keep this side still and maximize axial rotation and circumduction, the tissue in here is what gets expressed the most. I'm moving through workspace around me but the deep stuff moves the most. Then I say, here's the problem with social media because I'm going to show you another rep now. And then I do this like circus looking, very impressive hip car where it's like my knee came up to my ear. I don't go into a full back bend and I've tripled the range of motion of my hip in three seconds. And it's this 
very like dancer arabesque looking thing where my hip goes through an enormous amount of range. It's, it's a very, very big circle. But to do that, to actually accomplish that, the only way I could, and this is what I call the social media reps. When you learn it on social media and you think it's just make the circle bigger by any means necessary, what ended up happening is that these two structures actually kind of have to now sync together because the pelvis moving through space is what allows for me to triple the volume. And as soon as the coupled motion of the pelvis hiking and turning and tilting comes into play, now the femur is no longer moving very much relative to the pelvis. Therefore, the circle got significantly bigger, but the target was missed instantly. So the hip capsule stuff is actually moving significantly less in that larger rep. And now it looks better for something like that, that rep gets way more likes on social media like 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 it's got all the dopamine hits and everything but i'm actually not doing a hip car it looks better for instagram but i am not helping my hip anymore it's just now i'm just moving my lumbar spine my pelvis and it's not wrong to move those things i want all my joints to move but if i'm doing the hip car i'm trying to focus on the independence of the hip joint how the femur moves relative to the pelvis or on the other side of the coin how the pelvis moves relative to the femur that's my hip and i need to understand how those two bones move relative to each other to learn how to manage them well so Really, when, when people learn from a secondhand source, just they, they watch someone do it on social media and then they try, they miss the intricacies. The, the, one, they don't have the understanding of why people are doing it because they missed eight hours of lectures on it. Um, two, they miss the nuance and details of it and they're not going to get hurt. It's good to move your body around. Please move more. Our population of humans are not moving enough. So if someone learns cars from the internet and they're now doing that and they didn't learn from somebody that's FRC certified, it's still good for them. Please move your body more. We have to get our clients to move more. So I encourage it. I see bad cars all the time and I applaud people for it, right? But if you really understand what we're doing with the system, understanding the target and intent is paramount to everything. And if the intent is capsule tissue, then you have to understand relative motion between bones to target capsule tissue. And that's the case for cars. That's the case for pales rails. That's the case for anything as I follow down the system. Understanding how to get to target tissue is paramount to get the adaptation that you want out of somebody. Make sense? Indeed. <laughs> I also feel that many of us have varying reference points. So we have the inability to be able to compare. As you said earlier, when you're doing an assessment, you're looking at trends, you're looking at how does this affect this? What has changed? And by keeping something the same every morning, like a morning routine, which is the involvement of cars done throughout the body for anyone that doesn't know it, you're checking every link and you're saying, hey, how are you doing today? That's interesting. My shoulder extension has reduced 50% today. So I'm going to do some work there today. So my priority is going to change and I have a loose training program. It's become more flexible as the years have gone on, partly with children. <laughs> it's something you have to do, but the assessment for me is actually orientated that as time's gone on because I'm now thinking about what David's turned up that morning. That's the one I want to deal with today. Totally. So I'm going to do more, more shoulder extension today. I'm going to do some more work on my spine today because things don't feel like they're moving well. Totally. Would you be able to sort of just briefly talk about yeah. some of the rules? Because I think a lot of people are looking at things like the spine. For example, like the spine, it was the first system I looked at and it was so obvious what I needed to do first before I needed to move and establish secondary things, i.e. let's establish linear segmentation before moving into any anything else like rotational drills, etc. Hold on one second. I'm going to briefly pause us. My heater 
kicked on like out of nowhere and i'm like about to start dripping sweat and i need to fix this situation because i'm gonna die i i'm gonna die in this podcast so give me give me like two minutes okay i just got this back can you can you hear me yeah i can hear you okay and it's still recording we're good perfect cool okay so I thought I was going to make it, and then I just started – every five minutes, I was just getting more dripping sweat, and I was like, I'm, I'm going to pass out. I'm going to – something happened with my heater. It, like, went rogue, and it turned, like, 80 degrees in here out of nowhere, and it shouldn't ever be that high. I am sorry. See, that that would be the thing that would get us more views. <laughs> Watch the time I, know, I had to I get passed out on the podcast. <laughs> it's like, you're, ask, you're asking me more questions. Why is he sweating so much? It's I was just thinking, questions. I was thinking it's just cars. Like, what, this, <laughs> this man teaches this for a living. <laughs> This is how passionate I get as I just start <laughs> dripping sweat while talking about cars. <laughs> Amazing. You could leave this in. People will find it funny. I'm fine. So let's talk about the rules. So we, we have rules set out, not because there's, once again, I, I joke about it, but not because there's a rule book to the human body that we're privy to that you aren't. That's not how it works. It's just that we've been doing this long enough. We do this more successfully than other people are trying to improve range of motion, mobility, and joint health. We have it systemized. And so we just know what works better. That's why we have rules in place because when people follow rules, they end up just getting more success out of the system. So one of the things that we say is like rule one is workspace over everything, which is what you and I have been talking about a large portion of the conversation, cars. Workspace over everything. We prioritize cars. When I have 16 hours to teach other fitness professionals, manual therapists how to do what I do, so that's the FRC seminar, out of 16 hours, eight of them, half of the seminar is just focused on cars. That's how much of a priority, like literally one half of the seminar. We've even done an extra seminar, which is now a webinar for the, for the member section website. It's three more days that we did talking about the science behind why we do what we do with cars. Like, so it is a lot of time devoted to it. So workspace over everything is kind of our, our, our rule. We, we stand by it. It's something that you'll never see change in our system. A lot of things change over time. That one won't. So workspace is a priority. And then to improve capacities and qualities in the human body, we just choose rotation over linear. We do a lot of rotational inputs. Cars happens to be a rotational input, but what I mean by that is if you have something like a ball and socket joint, like a shoulder, we have flexion, extension, abduction, adduction. We also have internal and external rotation, and I would prioritize findings in the rotational tissue before I would prioritize findings in the linear tissue. And that goes against everybody's wants because nobody has ever showed up at my gym saying, hey, I want my rotator cuff to be better, or hey, I want better hip internal rotation. Like nobody says those sentences. Like they want handstands, they want splits, they want to get out of knee pain, they want to, they just, they have a want, that's their point B, and it's never related to what they actually have to work on to get to their point B. It's not the, the brain doesn't draw a parallel between the two things. That's the coach's job. That's what's how we make a living is how to figure out how to get someone there by deciding what they should work on. So for us, we've kind of always focused on rotational tissue before, over linear tissue for every joint in the body, except spine and spine is linear before rotational. And we focus on the ability of the spine's ability to segment because that is paramount from a health perspective and a force distribution perspective health perspective because when you're talking about joints specifically and you're getting down to like the actual anatomy of it, not the surrounding tissues not just like looking at it externally but like what's happening internally in the joint it needs movement to stay healthy like glucosamine doesn't do the trick fish oil doesn't do the trick like movement is the foundation of youth for our joints that is the only option it has it, it creates a pressure change it imbibes nutrition from local tissue it is what keeps joints healthy and if 
you're like you gave the, the story about your client earlier you said like some areas his back move some some don't so like if you imagine a series of joints so you have l5 on l4 l4 on l3 l3 on l2 l2 on l1 and when the person goes from say their state of flexion to their state of extension instead of l5 moving on l4 l4 moving on l3 l3 moving on l2 which is relative motion or segmentation the whole lumbar stays in its orientation and just changes position in space so it went from flexion to extension it moved through space but only some areas are contributing to that motion and others aren't. And now if you're thinking of the facet joints that are kind of existing behind the vertebrae, if L4 is not moving on L3 and L3 is not moving on L2 and you're not getting relative motion at those joints, but it is motion that keeps joints healthy. What is the status of health of L4 and L3 facet joints as time goes on? It's not good because the only thing we found to keep that stuff healthy is movement. Unfortunately, one of the things that leads to this problem, it's not its not the problem, there's a much bigger problem, which is called modern society. But one of the things that kind of com, uh, contributes to this problem is the fitness industry and the rehab industry fear-mongering everybody around movement, right? Don't do this, don't do this, don't round your back, don't do that, neutral spine, neutral spine. Like everything is so focused on protecting people in the short term. Because if you take someone in back pain and you stop having them flex it and you keep them in neutral spine, they will probably feel better today. They will because they're no longer doing the thing that's bothering that that joint. But it's not a it, it's like although it might be a decent short term solution, it's a real shit long term solution because if you're taking away their options moving forward, if they stop moving it long term, they will lose the ability to move it. We know that with range of motion isn't just taken away from us; it's a decision uh, over time. If you stop stimulating the mechanoreceptors and getting that tissue to glide, your your brain starts to lose access to it. The the cortical maps in that area start to get smudged, and you can't kind of call on the individual tissues that uh, allows for segmentation. In this case, for the spine, so. Um, when we focus on it, like I said, our, our goal is to get back segmentation just from a health perspective, which how important is that? Because that, that is your nervous system. Like your spinal cord exists within there. Like that is your central nervous system. And if your brain senses threat to that, it'll so quickly take movement options away from your periphery because it will prioritize keeping that safe and it keeps it safe by stiffening up even more because it doesn't want you to move it because you haven't moved it for so long and it senses threat. So it ends up like this domino effect of like once things start to happen with the back, it just gets worse, 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 worse. And then the strategies given to you by rehab specialists continue to contribute to the problem, which is just learn to brace your core more and stiffen up and move it less, move it less, move it less, which is just not helping the long-term goal of getting health back in that area. That makes sense. So for, for, for spine, like, and the reason why this is so important is because if you look up spine mobility on Instagram or YouTube or Facebook or any other really bad source to get good information from, what you're going to find is what everyone else is doing, which is rotational things. So everyone lays on the ground and they, you know, drive their spine into rotation and then they're, you know, doing thread the needles and laying on their side and rotating. And the reality is that like, if you actually understand the anatomy of the spine and you do not have relative motion to flexion extension on L4, L3, and you try and laterally flex or rotate it, you are just kind of pushing structure together. You, you're, you're not leaning into the way that the joint is designed to move. So it's, it's not going to rotate at that segment. So now if a let's say that that chunk of thoracic isn't flexing or extending at all, it's just kind of, uh, it's a chunk, right? It's a movement block. And now you're going through these rotational drills. That whole chunk is just rotating together. But, you know, T6 is not rotating on T7. T7 is not rotating on T8 like you think it is. So I'm 
going to take a step back and say, I don't see that these drills are completely useless. I don't think they're not, in, you know, they're not invaluable. They're, they're, they're just drills. They're just movements, right? And if I'm with a rotational athlete and we're in the idea of warming up right now, sure, warm up the rotational stuff. But if we're trying to long-term better the state of someone's spine mobility, which is literally what everyone asks me for. That's that's the messages I probably get most frequently. My back hurts, I want my back to be better, I want better spine mobility, I want better segmentation. Well then following the rules is gonna be what gets you there. Getting back segmental flexion and extension is gonna be paramount even if you are a rotational athlete and what you're doing in your sport is more rotation driven. We have to follow the rules because we have to get back relative motion to get back proper coupled motion so that you can do the thing that you want. Going back to the central nervous system, one one of the, the most beautiful ways I've heard this described is the brain is encapsulated in darkness and the central nervous system is it's almost it's, it's highway to the peripheral nervous system and it's constantly getting this afferent efferent feedback. So it's sending signals and receiving signals. And that's when, when I start to think of it that way, I was like, well, of course it makes sense. I want to be able to communicate back to that central nervous system and vice versa to continually make sure my body has a sense of, I suppose one word would be say coherence or harmony. So it's, it can talk to itself well. Yeah. But again, I think because of social media being the way it is, we're maybe in the initial days, something less uh, sexy would have got more views to a degree. But now it's because the bar is getting pushed higher and higher and higher. And people almost have to jump off buildings to get insane views now. I have friends that jump off buildings for views. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm sure. I, I'm, I'm friends with like some parkour, parkour athletes and stuntmen that quite literally have to push the envelope of something like jumping off the building to get more likes than last week. It's like, what are we doing here? Which is, yeah. As someone who's been with me for nearly three years now, he's in his 60s. He went skiing. He was one of the older members of the group. And the, the snow was quite mushy. Five ended up injured out of the group of 10. He was one of the eldest in the group, came back, and he said, my legs were stronger. My knees felt better than ever. And I felt fresh at the end of it. And he said, it's the first time I've ever been on that trip. And I felt that good. And what we were doing time and time again was checking on every joint, what range, what capacity does it have? Let's improve a little bit of end range work to bring up that peak in the middle so that we can express a little bit more strength in the middle. And we, it didn't mean we negated the external training at the end of it. We still picked up some club belts and did some shifts forwards and backwards. We still did some lateral yep. movements, some almost typewriter movements to prepare them for the skiing trip. And he said, at the end of it, it all made sense. We started on the inside and we worked our way out. So yeah, I mean, really going back to it, I'm sure you can definitely attest to this more than myself as well. Like those wins do not attract views on social media, but they mean yeah, so it, much to us as coaches. Look, it's, it's a constant battle and it breaks my heart. Like what I, a little perspective I grew my social media by doing the thing that I hate the most and talk shit on the most nowadays. Like I, I, I played the game for a long time of doing whatever it took to get more likes and views next week than this week. I would constantly, and for me, like I was also in the development phase of understanding the system, how it expands range of motion, how it improves capacities. And since I was using it on myself and I was getting more impressive physical feats accomplished, 
I was sh- I was sharing the wins as I went. I don't regret any of the decisions that I made. I just don't like the way I wouldn't do it again this way now, right? So I was just pushing the envelope of my performance to, to circus level feats. Like I was, I I wanted to see if I keep going, can it keep getting better? And guess what? It can. Right. And the cool thing about that, even though I don't really agree with me sharing my body as the primary focus of change anymore, I actually now get to work with circus athletes, professional dancers, ballerinas, aerialists, because they watched me push my body to the limit and continue to get better. And now I get to work with people who already have those capacities and continue to get them better. So I have this awesome side effect of now I get to work with people that I look up to from a movement perspective because circus artists are some of the most impressive humans I've ever gotten to work with. Um, but now my social media is more centered around what you just discussed, like taking, I, I don't want to use it as a negative term, but like the average person, just taking somebody and getting them better, like showing that like this works for everybody. But I posted, like I'll, I posted recently, you know, a woman in her sixties who had both hips replaced. Like, and I said, like now she's traveling the world again and she's squatting pain-free. She has almost full range of motion. She has her life back life back like she is a thriving human in today's society when she was in 11 out of 10 pain 24 hours a day when i met her like and she was in that case for years we we fought off surgery for years and eventually she got both hips replaced and the work that we did is why she had such a positive outcome of the surgery instead of like most people which is just like okay i'm out of pain but i don't have any range of motion and i can't go back to quality life like she is a thriving human in today's world and i'll share that and then i share in my stories every single day every single day wins for my online contract with hunter my back hurts less my knee hurts less and nobody on the internet cares and then then like once a month i'll do like a throwback post with like my leg behind my head and the internet goes wild and it's just like it's just <laughs> It, it's so frustrating. It's like, have you not been paying attention? Like I got 300 people out of pain this month. Like, and you don't care about that at all, but you put your leg behind my head and suddenly I have my inboxes, my inbox gets flooded with like, can I hire you? I want to do that. I've been trying to get my leg behind my bed for years. My hip hurts. And I'm just like, you guys are all missing the points. Like this is not about human tricks. This is not about just range of motion for the sake of range of motion. It's wild to me that this message is so still such a struggle to portray that this system works so beautifully at getting people out of pain, moving better, getting back to what they want to do with their life. And if what you want to do with your life is like behind your head, who am I to tell you otherwise? But do it systematically in a safe way so that you can get there without pain. And that's not what people are doing. People are just cranking their joints into end range positions, pushing past the barrier of pain because their yoga instructor told them, well, this is how I did it. So this is how you're going to do it. Precedence and uh, history and um, you know, how people have done it before you is the main driver of why people do what they're doing. It's the same thing in athletics. Like we'll go into an athletic team and, and we'll try and change their mind about something like, well, this is how we've always done it. And I go, I know that's how you've always done it. And that's why you hired us because it's not working. Like it's not going well, which is why we're here. So you kind of have to reframe, you have to change. But with, with social media, unfortunately, it is an algorithm that preys on our brain's inability to focus on some of the things that matter and it's just it's just quick hits of dopamine and it's like if you're not wowed by what you see in the first couple seconds you've already moved on and watching an elderly person squat like you and i want to share doesn't wow anybody because it it should be a normal human thing it's, it's not technically a wow thing but for that person who's been in an 11 out of 10 pain for their last couple of years of their life and now has it back it is the most important thing they they've accomplished in the last decade and they are, they are head over heels in love with you as their trainer being like, oh my God, like, thank you for getting my life back. I finally feel like a human again. I finally feel like I can contribute to things. Yet, yet people still want to see splits, 
handstands, you know, backbends, uh, all the things that just kind of get a little more attention. And I, I'm, you and I have had extensive conversations about this. Um, that's a constant battle for us yeah. is to try and figure out how we can get people to care about the things that we care about more um, and then still not lose our audience and occasionally excite them with, look, I, here's me doing a handstand again. Here's me doing a cool thing. Here's me still doing this. I can still do the splits because I earned them. So I got them. And if you want to see it, here it is. Um, but me doing the splits about someone who's obsessed about it for the last 10, 15 years shouldn't impress you because if you're not going to commit for the 10 to 15 years that I did, I don't know if this is something you should be doing anyway, right? So what you should care about is the fact that not I've changed my body because I'm willing to do what it takes. You should see that as a coach, wow, Hunter works with a lot of people. Wow, David works with a lot of people. Look at how many people they transform on a regular basis because clearly what they're doing is a system that works with any human that they work with. Because mm -hmm. there's a lot, you and I both know this, there's a lot of impressive humans out there that have really impressive social medias that crush the content game of like, look at how impressive of a physical being I am that can't coach anyone for anything. They have no coaching ability and they have no ability to take someone who doesn't have their background or commitment and get them to the point B that they got to. Mm -hmm. And that's the frustrating thing about social media is those people get more attention because they are very impressive creatures. They are very impressive humans and they've pushed the thresholds of human performance, but they have no clients. They have absolutely no clients because they've never been able to once prove that they can get another person to, to recreate the, the uh, accomplishments that they have with their body because they don't have any skill set around it. Mm -hmm. Myself and my martial arts teacher discussed this uh, last week when I attended my first lesson. I just wanted to learn how to punch better. I, I remember coming out of the military, uh, early 20s, and I was like, look, I just want to you know, defend myself, be able to punch better. So, okay, we can do that. So he punched me. <laughs> He said, that's what a punch feels like. And then we, we started to like almost just almost perform this like elephant man style punching thing as I was dragging my arm around the room. He's, and I said, what are we doing? And he said, you wanted to punch, didn't you? And he said, it all become apparent. I said, when? And he said, well, when it becomes apparent. <laughs> and it's been really interesting just unfolding that we look, look back and laugh over time. And we look back at techniques we we're doing five years ago that we thought were adhering to some form of principles and we go, well, that was, that was bullshit because you can only learn with the tools you've acquired. And I think unfortunately for a lot of people, mm -hmm. they haven't acquired enough tools to be able to interpret some of the information that's being put out there, which is, which was one of the key drivers for me as a former student and in an attempt to be a better coach was to see how many tools I could acquire initially. So at least I could sort of jump between tools and go, that's interesting. I can't interpret that through that lens. So I might have to sh use a different lens to be able to interpret what Hunter's doing there, or even just find that person mm -hmm. and spend an intense amount of time earning the cash to get there. And then off the back of it, do some work. But the fundamental piece I think that misses in a lot of society is that word right. that I finished with, is that for many of us, we've been given so much that we forget that to attain something worth having long-term requires work and patience. And that is why I've always believed since having some very good influences in my life, I believe very mature um, teachers, they said, just stay and learn. Just stay and you'll keep learning. Just don't try and over-interpret this. It will unfold in time as those tools get sharper.
And again, I think that's what miss, is missing us a little bit. You're not going to acquire that in five seconds. A hundred percent. And you'll hear it, not just from me, but I, I'm pretty sure every FRS instructor has said this at the courses they teach, Dr. Spino, Dewey Nielsen, all the different people. And one of the things we'll say is like, it's a, it's a little reminder, a little jab at humanity to be like, just so you know, there's two things that change the human body. Time and effort. More specifically, a lot of effort over a long length of time. Ironically enough, there's two things humans hate. Time and effort. <laughs> like, th that, that right there, that right there explains most of the problems that people are experiencing from a physical development standpoint, a performance standpoint, a skill acquisition standpoint, changing people's bodies, um, just career development, cognitive development, because anything, anything worth having takes a lot of effort over a long period of time. And the two things humans just seem to hate is things that take time and things that take efforts because it's, and once again, there's a, there's a reason for it. Like if you go back to the evolutionary perspective of health, like we our brain's job was conservation of energy, not choosing to do difficult things. Like we weren't, we weren't trying to solve world problems as hunter gatherers. We we're trying to survive. And although the world has changed dramatically, our brain has it. So choosing to do the hard thing is a difficult choice. I'm not, I'm taking a jab at people because it's still a true statement, but it's also understandable. Like we are lazy creatures. It is inside of us to be lazy and conserve energy. We're supposed to conserve energy. We're not supposed to add slabs of muscle tissue over the course of years because we want more Instagram likes. Like that wasn't a part of history. So like choosing to add all this muscle mass, choosing to increase tensile strength of your tendons, choosing to jump higher, like to push it from a normal human jump to this outrageous athletic jump to dunk in a, a net. Like these are just weird choices we're making because modern life got cush right? Like it, we, we got bored as a species and we don't have to fight for survival anymore. So we're just making up sports and activities to fill our time. But we can't shrug our shoulders and wonder why humans are experiencing the problems they're having, why most people don't end up looking the way they want. And most people don't end up looking strong. And most people will never have a one arm handstand that looks like yours because most people hate things that take a long time and require a lot of effort. And the people that do well with functioning systems, but insert anything here, have just uh, uh, learned to commit to the process. Um, they, they've learned that this is, and that, that that's the word we should focus on, right? Because this is the whole com conversation around, are you, are you focusing on the product or the process? Are you focusing on the outcome or how you're getting to the outcome? And the people that realize that the product doesn't matter, the outcome doesn't matter. It's not that it doesn't matter because it's what you want, obviously, but if you could learn to obsess about the daily things that actually create the change that you want and then care about those things, and focus on those things, AKA focusing on the process. You will get the outcome that you want. When? I have no idea. I have no idea, there's no way to know. But if you focus on it, you will get the outcome that you want if you stick with things long enough. And that is hard for people to commit to because there's no, there's no, there's like, there's no guarantee, right? I can't say, hey, if you stick with it for a year, it'll happen. If you stick with it for two years, it'll happen. There's no way to know, but like, People get frustrated by that answer. They go, well, if you can't tell me I'll get it in two years, then why should I even work on it? It's like, well, because you told me you wanted it. So either two years is going to pass and you either worked on it every day or you didn't. And two years from now, you're either going to be further away from your goal or closer to your goal. You might not be at it yet, but you're either going to be further away or closer to it. You're, you're not going to stay where you are. Homeostasis is a fleeting 
thing that we, we, your body's always trying to get to, but you're not maintaining anything. You're either adapting or you're accommodating. You're either pushing towards your goals or moving away from them. So that's, that's um, frustrating. Um, you, you, as a martial artist, have had a discipline around committing to things. But a lot of people out there have never really committed long-term to a physical endeavor. I love working with martial artists like yourselves because when I work with somebody who says like, oh, I'm already a black belt in this, I go, oh, you get it. You, I don't even have to explain process versus outcome. You just know you just have to keep showing up, right? Like martial artists are some of the easiest clients I have for that reason because I am not the person trying to convince them that this is going to take a long time. They don't care how long it takes. They just want to eventually get to the higher color belt or whatever it is, right? They just want to keep moving forward in the system. And the only way to do that is to show up repeatedly. Yeah, I, th- I think it's the process-driven thing. It, fundamentally, all these podcast episodes, in some way, whenever I discuss something with someone who is a long-term practitioner or student of something, that process over outcome always seems to come through because one thing is we're always getting older. So if you could train someone and they never, um, they never lost stuff over a 20-year period – but they got 20 years older and they could still do what they did at 20 instead of 40. That is a win. And I've tried to explain this to people before, like your hip is still as good as it was when we started. And that is a win. (laughs) Just because you can't stick your leg behind your head doesn't mean anything. There's, there's an unfortunate reality. And if you're listening in this, I'm the first person to ever tell you this. I apologize. (laughs) But if you're like over 25, your body is getting worse. Every year, naturally, it is the process that happens as our body starts to decline. But it is counterable. It just takes a lot of time and effort, going back to what we just talked about. So you can change that. And what David's saying here is that sometimes the win we accept is maintenance. Maintenance still takes a lot of effort, but it's, it's, that's better than declining. I'd rather, like, like David said, like I'd rather have the same hip 20 years from now than a worse hip. Would it be cool to have a better hip? Of course, but that takes even more time and effort, right? But if I can maintain, that is a win. So with good programming, like another thing that I don't think a lot of coaches realize, and this is something we talk about at FRC because people leave FRC and they're like, I'm going to improve everything in every direction. It's like, hold on there, buddy. <laughs> that's that's not going to go as well as you think. You can't just improve everything in every direction, especially if you are, are doing other things. Like it doesn't work like that. You don't have unlimited uh, resources from an adaptability standpoint. You have to use your adaptive currency well, right? So good programming is saying like, all right, if I'm working on David as an athlete and this is our priority for phase one, I'm going to try and bring up this quality, this quality, and this quality. And name anything. It could be endurance of this tissue, strength of this tissue, range of motion here, but qualities of your body. When I move from phase one to phase two, I can't just keep working on this and then work on more things. You still have the same adaptive bank account, right? You can't, you have a certain amount of currency. So now I'm saying, all right, now that we move into phase two, we're going to try and now bring this quality up, this quality up, and this quality up, and big air quotes, try to maintain the things that we brought up in phase one. Try to maintain what we brought up. And now we go to phase three, and now I'm focusing on this explosiveness and this and that because we're getting closer to your competition, and I'm going to try and maintain phase two things and even continue to try to maintain phase one things. But it never try fails every time because if you're not putting adequate time and effort into any given quality, it gets worse. So it's a dance. Like 
phase one, I'm bringing this up, this up, this up, and over here, dropping, dropping, dropping. And then I move to phase two, and now I'm trying to catch this up, this up, this up, this up, and this over here is falling, falling, falling. But good programmers, people that actually successfully train athletes to improve performance, play this dance very well, and things are rising faster than things are falling. So if you take that snapshot bird's eye view of year after year after year, things generally move in the right direction and import, uh, performance is improving and everything else. It's kind of like that visual of like the person who's spinning the plates on the sticks and they have to constantly spin this one and then this one's falling over, it's slowing down, so it's falling over and they have to come over here and spin this. Like that's programming. You have to constantly dance of managing all of these qualities and it doesn't go well. Like people think that you could just keep everything spinning perfectly. That's not how the world works. You can't just improve everything. So you focus, you have to hone your focus. And at our course, that's why we give the rules we talked about earlier in the podcast, because you're going to try and spin everything. You're going to try and make everything get better and you will get nothing better. That's just not how it works. So the rules we set out say, hey, this is how to focus your efforts to get the most bang for your buck out of this system. And if you get the most bang for buck out of your system, you get to get back to the other things you want to do faster. You want to handstand. You want to CrossFit. You want to do the splits. I want you to do those things too. But we have to we have to focus on the big rocks of the limiting factors, what prerequisites you're missing to get that back. And programming um, is not an easy conversation, but that's that's kind of like the way that I view it of that that dance. Uh, I think programming is probably one of the hardest things, but the thing that I have um, a passion to learn more about as time goes on, because every time, especially when you work online with people as well, there is a form of guesswork and. I just believe the more you learn, the better guesses you make and can formulate based on what you see in mm -hmm. front of you. And it's sometimes quite hard for people to understand that. I've had numerous conversations over the last few years, one of which went, I like the program. What attributes am I going to gain from this? Am I going to get speed, power, strength? I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Can you define each one of these terms you're actually <laughs> saying to me? And then we can start to have the conversation around what this is going to do. Because right. I actually just want to know what reaction comes off the back of it and sometimes i was given the most arduous thing to practice just to see if i'd go away and practice it and i'd come back and say um out of interest what was the point in this this is going back say for 12 years what's the point in that drill oh there was no point i just wanted to see if you were dedicated brilliant <laughs> that was it brilliant that was it and that that for me taught me so much yeah. about are you are you bought in or are you not yeah, and that could, could translate to relationship. It could translate to the way you turn up to work and the way you stick with it and you stick with people and friends and all the rest of it. Who knows what that translates to? But that to me is what training is, is how it radiates not only through your own physical practice, appears to be physical, but every other aspect of your life. 100%. It's almost like cliche, how you do something is how you do everything. <laughs> I'm very aware time is ticking on and uh, I want to get two two last questions in that I feel are just as important as everything else we discussed. Actually, there's three. There's three. <laughs> when training someone, I understand that timing is probably one of the most important factors, like right time at the right place with the right person, obviously, as well. Opening range for example, during a season for an athlete, is that something you would not be exploring because of potential risk of injury prior to establishing certain tissue qualities? 
And would you be just able to elaborate on that and why that is important? Yeah, it's definitely, there's not, there's not a right answer to this and it has to be, and it depends. I have to know what sport, what athlete, what their current condition is. Like if somebody is so bad, but they're still competing this season, like I might break my worldview of this a little bit and be like, look, I normally wouldn't open up new rage in a season, but you are, you are bad. We, we have to fight for something here. So I, there's times where I, I do it, but usually my answer is like, Hey, like off seasons are one of the best times to open up range of motion because then you also have a few months to fortify what you're doing. Right. You, you really want to um, make a difference in their, their bodies and the, the time where you can steal more of their adaptive currency. The reason why this matters is because of what we talked about, the adaptive currency in their in-season. Most of their currency is being put towards their sport, and you're not supposed to try and take that away from them because you could hinder their performance because of that. So off-seasons are like this magic window of like, okay, like, like for example – I'm working with a couple athletes. I, I work with them every single off season, uh, different track athletes, tennis athletes, uh, golfers, things like that. And what I do is because of their FRA, because I spend hours with them assessing and I have all of their photos of their range of motion, of all their videos of their workspace, I have everything. I could say, look, here is you at the end of last off season. So this is after we did a bunch of work. And here's you on day one of your off season. So the only thing between these two photos was your competitive season. Look at what your sport is doing to you. It's not good. It's not good, right? And now what we're trying to do is now we're taking the off season and we're trying to tug them back to a better state of health, prerequisites, capacity building. Now I have photo. Now what I do is I have photos at the beginning of the off season, the end of the off season to show the benefits you're getting in the off season training. And then I have the end of the off season to the beginning of the in season to say, here's what your sport's doing to your body. I'm not telling you not to do it. You're a $40 million athlete. By all means, keep throwing your body into other humans. It's good for you. It's good for your family. So be it. You're one of the world's best. But it's not good for your joint health, right? So truly, I try, like off seasons are the magic window to try and make the most physical changes. But people are like, there people are training around. So it would, it would be a discredit to say like, don't do this work in the in season because like they're, they're working out every day. They're, they're doing physical currency things. And now I'm just trying to take some of their physical currency that they're putting towards Olympic lifting, strength training, power lifting, and saying, hey, give me some of those high efforts and put it towards this. But our procedure changes because our intent changes. And now what I might be doing is using a pails rails to just really strengthen tissue at end range, but not hold a two minute stretch to really push the barrier trying to get further into range, right? So I could still use the things that we know change tissue, but I could change the intent, change the application to make sure that I'm not doing it to push my client into territory that is really going to uh, potentially affect their performance this week. And now the reality to the conversation is this answer changes every week depending on what we're doing. So my relationships with my athletes is a very uh, close thing. I'm talking to them almost every day because, okay, what'd you do in the gym today? How was, how was your track practice? What did you do? How, how do you feel? You know, and, and, and like, should, like we were, we were planning to get tomorrow for an internal strength session. Maybe we should take the day off. Like we have to adapt to the current condition of the human, which is what we were talking about earlier with like looking at their cars on a, any given day will tell me what to do with them. Um, because now I, I have to modify programming another way of wording it although no one likes to say this but it's the reality anyone that i know that programs well will admit that this is the case programming is not cemented in stone programming is a plan it is what i'm saying in 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 ideal land this is how i would like the next week to go the next month to go the next three months to go the next six months to go but it is just a template and every single day on this thing has options to move change 
change intensity, change what we're working on, because it's just, it, it's not realistic to pretend that we're in ideal land with a high performing athlete um, when they're being redlined with their sport and being pulled in a million different directions from their other coaches and strength coaches and physical therapy and everything else. We have to respect reality and understand that I'm going to do what I can and accept the little wins I can. But in season, I have never successfully taken anyone at a high level and maintained their body because their sport is more insulting than that. So things get worse in their in-season, and then we spend off-seasons really trying to better things so that they get more years with their sports, so that when they retire, they're more comfortable human beings. That's brilliant. I wanted to use the athlete as an example because I feel they're almost uh, magnified on what us normal people are like in regards to people have started to learn FRC or may have seen others doing it. They start cracking open some new space. They then go from max effort deadlift and wonder why their back's been injured. So that's really what I was trying to get across is that I feel the timing, the dosage working with a coach all has huge value when you are learning a system like this to be able to understand someone that's worked with it for a while. And they go, do you know what? We're not ready yet. We're just going to hold fire for a little bit longer. And we do a little bit but not this much because this much could cause problems. So we're just going to dial it back. And that's the importance of that experience of working with others over time. I want to, I want to add to this just because on the counter side of things, like I've had this conversation a lot and no one likes when I have this conversation, but this is the reality. So I'll have someone, mm-hmm. let's just say it's you. It's not you, but let's just say it's you. You contact me and you took FRC two years ago with me, right? Like you learned from me years ago. And you're like, look, I'm actually going to come to California. I'd love to get an assessment. I want to dive in. I've been doing everything you taught me since the course. I bring you through the assessment and I say, hey, it's my professional opinion that you should do this, which is some day one FRC things. I need you to actually practice your cars, slow down. You're not doing it the way that I taught it. You're not actually getting the capsule to move. You're you're compensating and you need some pales rails. And then the person goes, I did that two years ago. I don't need that. Give me, give me the more, give me the more advanced things. I, I want to get to the, I want to get to the stuff that you're using with your pro athletes. And I go, this is not about what you want. And this is not about what I want. This is about what your assessment shows you need. This is your point A. You told me what your point B is, and you do not have the prerequisites for it. So I'm sorry, but we're going back to day one FRC, and you're doing what you need to do to acquire what you told me you want to acquire. It is not an opinion, and you shouldn't be mad at me. I'm trying to help hone your focus on what your body is telling me it needs to work on. And you still, you your hip internal rotation might be better today than it was two years ago, but it's not where you need it to be. So you're going back to Pales Rails land and you're going to stay there for a while. What was it? Uh, before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you got to do the same yeah. stuff over and over again. And you and I, you and I have talked about this a lot. Like the people that got good on anything mm. didn't start practicing more advanced things to get to the advanced things. They practiced the basics to get good at the advanced things. Like, and uh, I steal this from Dewey, but like he always says, be brilliant at the basics, right? Get exceptionally good at the unexceptional things. Like just really drive home the fact that like you, you shouldn't be thinking, how can I progress? How can I progress? How can I progress? It's how could I show up and practice what I need to practice? Like, and, and it's often the basics that we need to hammer home. That leads in very nicely to this um, the sort of penultimate one. What key pieces of advice would you pass on to others could be listening or people they know to improve their ability to be better students? Delete your social media, (laughs) get rid of shiny object syndrome. Um, And, and really like, it's really, it's reinforcing all the things we've talked about for like the last 30 minutes or so, like commit, commit to a program, commit to a coach, commit to the process 
for way longer than you want. Like trying something for a few weeks, even a few months is not committing. You're just trying something. That's good science. That's good research. But commit. Because let's just say you commit to a year of coaching with David. And like you will learn a lot within that window. You will learn about handstands. You will learn about joint health. You will learn. And let's just say you don't get what you want out of it. Let's just say you never reach the one-arm handstand, right? You still walk away with so much from committing to one person for so long that you, you be, you're a better coach. You're a better human because of the commitment. Even if you still didn't get to the point B you wanted, you ended up with other things. Like I've even gone so far and talk about this, like even from a negative perspective, like the, some of the coaches that I've hired that I committed to, and I committed long-term to a lot of people that I shouldn't have committed long-term to. So I committed long-term to some people and what I learned out of it was what not to do or how not to treat others. Like some, for some people, when I spent thousands of dollars in mentorships and things else, what I learned is I would never treat my clients that way, right? So, but I only learned that because even though like er, even early on in the relationship, I knew that I don't think this is going the way I want. I committed so I can get as much out of it as possible. And then I, I am a better person because of that commitment. So I think that the key word there is commit, like really dive into uh, applying something long-term, try not to have shiny object syndrome, the reality is with human biology, it takes such a long time to adapt and it's a nonlinear process, meaning the thing that gets you from the zero to the 20 yard line might not be the thing that gets you to the 20 to 40 yard line, which would be a different thing to get you from the 40 to 60 yard line. But if you get stuck at that 20 yard line and then go, oh, this isn't working anymore, you're missing the bigger picture, right? So sometimes you, you have to dig in even deeper with somebody and commit longer to figure out how can we manipulate the variables of this training process and learning process to continue the adaptive processes instead of, okay, progress is slowing down. Let me look at what another coach is doing and try what they're doing. Cause now you're just going from the zero to 20 yard line from one person to the zero to 20 yard line with another person to the zero to 20 yard line with another person. And you're never actually getting far in anything. And that's the shiny object syndrome is you're just, you're getting just a very brief introduction to so many people's thought process. So commit. Love it. Where can we find out more about you, Hunter? Um, unfortunately, um, my social media, even though I keep telling people to get rid of it, um, probably is the easiest way to find me, right? Um, it's at Hunter Fitness, which I wholly regret because I don't want to be known for the rest of my life as Hunter Fitness. Um, my name is Hunter Cook, um, but you can find me as at Hunter Fitness. Unfortunately, Hunter Cook has already been taken out of social media spaces. Um, hunterfitness.com. Um, you know, I do online kin stretch. I teach the functional anatomy seminars. Um, you can find out about me just by reaching out uh, via email, social media, ask David how to talk to me. And I will, you know, I'm an open book, as you can tell. Um, and if you, you reach out on social media, we can talk about any of the things we talked about today. Brilliant. And you're welcome to say the same as everything we've discussed in the last two hours. But to finish every podcast, I am keen to leave the listeners with some simple routines that they can adopt and apply on a daily basis. What principles would be at the top of your list to form the foundations of human health, or in other words, a human-first approach? Human-first approach, I mean, I feel like that's exactly what the last two hours have been around, or however long we've been doing this. Um, but like, if, if I could say, like, if there's one thing I can get people to do, and even if I never met them and I never got to continue with them further, they would still write me a nice thank you card in five years. They would do the cars routine. They would they would learn how to do the cars routine, the morning routine, the daily joint habit. Like it's the brushing your teeth of your joints. Um, if you're listening to this and you don't have someone to teach that to you and you're not close to Dave or you're not close to me, 
Um, I don't know if you have this available, David. I do. But for anyone listening, um, I have a video where I teach it that I give to my clients after they come to me in person. And I'm happy to share that video to anybody that wants to learn cards because I actually want more people to be doing it. That's not, I don't want to keep that information. Um, if you come to the seminar, you will learn all the nuance and why behind it, the science behind it, everything else. But if you just want to, the practice of it, I have a video that just teaches very quickly um, how to do them. Hunter, I just want to say a massive thank you for the last two hours of your time, for sharing your knowledge. Uh, and two years of conversations and being a good friend, especially over the last six months with the injury. So thank you, brother. It's greatly appreciated. Absolutely. Happy to be a part of your journey, David. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to today's episode with Hunter and myself. If you found the last two hours of value, please support us by sharing with someone who you believe would benefit from this conversation. Thank you again for listening. See you on the next episode. Today's sponsor is Ape Nutrition. To find out more about their products, their ethos, and how they support the environment and much more, please check out episode seven with Josh and myself. And to save 10% on all orders, head to apenutrition.co.uk using the code HUMAN, that's H-U-M-A-N, at the checkout to find out more.